The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Friends. Welcome along to another episode of The Boys of Tech, currently New Zealand's longest-running tech podcast. This is episode number 187 for Monday the 8th of October 2012. My name is Edwin Herman. I'm joined over Skype by Ben Sunko. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks, Ed. How are you this week? Um, yeah, pretty good. No complaints? Daylight, daylight, uh, daylight savings is sort of messing me up a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so here in New Zealand, we flicked over to daylight savings. Was it weekend? Last not, not, not the one just gone, was it? The one before? Yeah, yeah. Sun, Sunday before, yeah. That's so last right. week was a bit weird. Um, yeah. Yeah, still feeling. I don't know why. You lose an hour. and I, It's much nicer the other way, right, when, when you put your clocks back because you get that extra hour. It's like, oh, Yeah, yes. but it's dark the other way, so. True. Pluses and minuses. Yes. Yeah. Hey, so I, you know, you were doing some stuff with the uh, Raspberry Pi, right? Yeah. So we got a we got a whole bunch of them at work for people to have a play around with, and I put together. Uh, lots of people have done like basically a streaming Pi, where you turn your Pi into a XBMC media center, and then you just stream everything through it. And I've done that, and it works really really well. But I've just added one extra thing, and that's putting a hard drive underneath it, just a normal two and a half inch removable drive that's powered over USB. Oh, and yeah. by having yep. that on the bottom, you essentially create a media center. So if you were going on holiday, you just take that. You take your Pi, your USB hub, and your hard drive, and you've you've got a full media center that'll plug into pretty much an ETV. Hey, that's cool. Because of HDMI, right? Yeah, HDMI. has also got RCA output as well. So oh, does even that, so the old th- school TV. All right, so that composite, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's cool. Yeah, no, they're they're pretty cool things. And getting it going is really straightforward. I mean, obviously it helps if you're technical, but even if you're not, it's uh, it's pretty easy to get it going. Is it hard to install the the uh, variant of Linux on it? No, because you just um, basically if you've got an SD card reader, and ideally if you've, I mean, if you've got a Windows computer, there's a Windows installer. But if you've got a, a Mac or a Linux desktop, then you just run this little Python script and it basically finds the card and does enough of the install, like a um, basically a net install, so that when you boot it up, it then goes off and does the rest of it. All oh, right, But obviously it has yeah. to be internet connected then as well at that point? Yeah, to do, yeah, to do that. I think you can get a full image, um, but then that's a little bit harder to put on. But the first time I put anything on it was the Debian versioned operating system for it, and that you just basically copied the image over via DD and then booted it up and you're straight into it. So for the uh, networking, I I take it the initial state for the network card is DHCP, right? Uh, yeah. Well, for the operating system itself, yeah. yeah. Each one is, well, is yeah, set. Right. Each one I've come across. Right. Okay. So you plug it into a into a network port that will respond to a DHCP server, and then it's on the net, and it'll do the rest of the install from there, right? Yeah. Depending on which one you're doing, that's for the RAS BMC, which is the XBM, the embedded XBMC operating system. For the full Debian one, you basically once you've burnt the image on, you once you've copied the image on, then you've got 
a full Debian right. install. Basically, it, so. That's good to go. Does it have all yeah. the developer stuff on on there, or do you need to add those? Well, I mean, it's just part of, you know, it's like any Linux system, really. It's a bare bones, and you add what you need to add to it. It's right. got, I mean, it's got basic stuff. I mean, it's got an X-Windows system. It's got, like, a Python install. It's got a Perl install. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it is designed for educational purposes and things, so it is geared towards that. And what about C compilers? I am pretty sure there's a C compiler there for you. I understand, though, that it's quite slow compiling directly on it, right? And normally oh, you yeah. compile externally for it. And, and yeah. send it to the device, right? Yeah, like I compiled. Um, what did I? I ended up compiling a um, uh, uh, FFmpeg server because I was trying to stream video from it, and the version that was uh, in the operating system itself didn't didn't support streaming very well. So I ended up compiling a version there, and yeah, it took like an hour. It was pretty painful. <laughs> it would have taken what seven minutes on a standard PC or something. Probably not even that. Not yeah. even that. Okay. <laughs> Hey, that's cool though. You've been sort of keeping a, a, a short, but you know, interesting uh, little write up on that. On yeah, your, on your I, project. Need to, I need to do a lot more to it, but it's just to get it's to get out now what I had in my head because you know, right, because you know, then it, you lose it, right? Yeah, 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 it never gets captured. Shall we give out that URL and put it on the show notes as well? Um, oh yeah, you can do. Yeah. Okay, so that's Wait, just chuck it on. Just chuck it on the show notes. Okay, I'll throw it in the show notes. So if you're interested, just uh, visit boysatech.com, have a look at the show notes there, and we'll have that link there for you to look at. That's cool. And I, this might be a bit of a spoiler, but I noticed the creative way that you've housed Case. this. Yeah, you've cased this Raspberry Pi. Yeah, that really came from that story you guys were talking about a few weeks ago. With oh the super- yeah, the supercomputer. <laughs> um, yeah, so we we all got these. And we were just, it was, I could have brought cases with them, but I just decided everyone would, you know, come up with their own solution. One person was making them out of old records, out of vinyl records. Oh, yeah, uh, okay. I think yeah. he was like cutting and molding them. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then I saw that supercomputer with the Lego and I was like, oh, I've got a pile of Lego. Why didn't I try that? Yeah, and I noticed, um, I noticed you've got the air vents. You've used some ones with air vents for the, uh, with the hard drivers by the looks. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Just to, you know, add that little bit because it doesn't really get hot, but it can do if you're watching a big movie or right, something. Right, That's cool. So you might as well have that there, yeah, that little bit of air. I like it. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so, no, fun. So when you do more with it, you'll, uh, you know, you'll add to the page if, if you do do more? Yeah, definitely. Like cool. Right now it's just it's sitting plugged into my TV and I've streamed a few things through it. And I, like I've taken the hard drive off. That was just to see if it would work. And I've streamed a few things through it and it seems okay, but I'm still getting issues. Like when I'm playing like a full 1080p movie back, it struggles a bit at times and it sort oh, okay. of so, lags a little bit. So when you don't have the hard drive plugged in, where, where's the content coming from? Oh, it's just streaming over the network like everyone else does. So, um, so in, just, But not, we're I'm not talking over the internet it. though, are we? we, we uh, do over the internet. No, we're just talking about a local file server. Okay, NAS. right. So you've got like a, a NAS or something. Uh, yeah, home or, built one. Right. Okay. Yep. Yep. And it, and it reads off that. Okay. Cool. I mean, even the fact that it plays a 1080 movie full stop is pretty impressive. Well, yeah, actually, yeah, that's true. Because what's the? Yeah. I forget what the what's the chip on that. It's got like a 1.1 gigahertz little ARM processor, but it's also got a dedicated GPU. Ah, the GPU yeah, that, that's right. The GPU's only got licensing for H.264 codec, so if you want to if you want to decode other things, then you have to get you have to buy those licenses. They've got like a um, an MPEG two and a FLV license, I think, so you can get those as well. So that the GPU can do the decoding. Yeah, right. otherwise, otherwise you're doing software on, on the CPU, right? Yeah, but the CPU is not powerful enough to do that, so you oh, really need okay. to plug into the 
CPU to get decent performance. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Hey, that's, yeah. that's cool. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and there's also, I mean, there's even soap operas going on in the back of the whole sort of um, operating system community. Like, there's two that are, basically, there's sort of, th- for the embedded media center, there's three operating systems. There's there's the RAS BMC, which is the one that I've been playing around with. That's pretty good. There's OpenELEC, which is, I think, just a, a generic open source embedded operating system for all different sorts of hardware. And then there was another one. I can't remember the other one, but the other one got accused of stealing the installer to get the actual image installed onto the Raspberry Pi. And then the two lead developers of each one of those were going at each other. And then one dude had to shut down his website. And it's oh, just, man. Oh, it's really quite funny. It's a full <laughs> history. It's a soap opera, what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. All right. Look, I tell you what, let's look ahead at some of the stories that we've got lined up. The US had plans to build a flying saucer back in the 1950s. Ben, I know that's going to interest you. Uh, The creator of Minecraft criticizes Microsoft's plan for Windows 8 and the CD turns 30. But first of all, Skype is planning to launch a free wireless internet access service or platform rather in the UK. So let's talk about that because they announced this last week. They wanted to provide a platform for end users, for, for people on the high street. This is aimed at sort of high street shopping, sort of downtown sort of area where people passing by can connect to the internet for free. The costs, of course, would be covered by the uh, the various businesses that want to offer that service. So the idea is Skype provides the platform and the businesses who want to offer that for their customers or people in the vicinity of their, their business can buy into that. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. It's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of weird. You know, I thought of, about it from the, from the business's point of view, like right now, you have a few places. Well, more than a few, but you know there are some places that offer free internet. Like for example, McDonald's is a, is a you know Starbucks that kind of thing, and there are others yeah. as well. Now, those particular ones are multi-million-dollar multinational chains that can afford to do that because they've got the resources. But what about your sort of your one-off high street shop? Sort of you know they they might not have might have the money, but they might not have if you like the resources to actually offer free internet rather than you know and i mean more than just uh you know sharing their own business's connection right i'm talking about you know something where you can at least uh control a little bit more about you know segregating your customers from your your staff network and so this platform will allow those businesses to offer that service and i thought that was kind of cool yeah, I mean, at that level, it is cool. And as a as a consumer who knows absolutely nothing about anything, it's cool as well. It's like, cool, I get free Wi-Fi. I guess my concern is that's an awful lot of information that Skype has access to when they're providing that kind of service to that wide of a population base. And I'd wonder how who has access to that, how well it's controlled, and yeah, effecti- what the end game is. Yeah, actually, you just made me realize, effectively... Skype will know where their customers shop, right? Because yeah. what I didn't say, what I haven't explained yet, is that the way it's going to work is that to use that free wireless, you sign in using your Skype username and password. So all of a sudden, Skype knows exactly where its customers are using the internet and therefore probably where they're shopping or at least where they're going. Yeah. I mean, it has... I mean, it just... It has people leave that sort of thing turned on on their phone. So basically it has their full, they can track everyone, all of their movements. Well, if they, um, at least if they log in, yeah, yeah. 
to yeah, the Yeah, I'm the assuming there's probably going to be an app and you'll probably just be connected to it at all times or... Yeah, that's right. You have to go through this special app. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure how it's going to work, actually, in the background, whether it – I mean, if, if you walk out of that particular area, um, uh, you know, I don't know whether it's going to connect to the next one or whether it's Well, only it sounds to- like it's, it's nationwide, though, isn't it? So they've got this nationwide free scheme. But if you are a business, you can pay to have that scheme still to be used. I, I, I find it quite strange. I don't understand that side of it. Well, the, the businesses are, are, are buying into it to offer that to their customers. That's what it is. So but people are already going to have access to it anyway or only through those businesses? Only through those businesses. So it's not actually like free nationwide Wi-Fi. No, it's, no, it's a plan- free no, nationwide Wi-Fi a- from, the, from, the, from the businesses that have bought into the scheme. Well, whether it's going to be – here's what I'm not sure, whether it's going to be – well, whether all these separate buy-ins, if you like, are going to be assimilated to one big giant network or not, I don't know. But what yeah. I what I do know is that it, it, you know the businesses buy into this to be able to offer that wireless access in their area. Uh, as I say, whether it's going to be one giant network or lots of separate networks, I, I don't know. They haven't. I haven't really uh, found the detail on that. But I, I think I like what I, I just like the concept of you know if I'm a store owner and I want to offer free wireless access, perhaps I'm a, a cafe that I'm not a chain, so I don't have millions of dollars you know behind me. I'm just a one-off cafe, and I want to be able to offer internet. And I don't just want to, as I say, as I said before, just share my my existing connection uh, for my business. I, I want to have something separate for the customers to use and keep it segregated, which makes sense. Then this is a way is, to do it. Is that the case? Because, I mean, initially when I was reading this, I was thinking, okay, it's like, you know, Skype has the infrastructure that they are going to be able to use. But it almost sounds like to hook into the system, you'd have to you'd have to buy a router from them and install it, in which case, where's that bandwidth coming from? Is well, it hooking into your network or are you getting some, are you getting another connection from somewhere? Yeah, I, actually, where the uh, the backhaul is, I'm not sure. But you're right; they do. They would have to buy a well, a router as it would be, especially given that it's in the UK. Uh, if it was in America, it'd be a router. But um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, that, that's that's part of the cost that they uh, the business would have to cover. Now, I think it's I think it's ten pound a month that the business would uh, would be paying as ongoing fees, and the initial outset for the router is uh, fifty pounds. But then, okay, so whose network is that using? Who's, who's um, connection are you yeah, connecting that, that's it to? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm not sure about, actually. Because if that is plugging into people's own networks, that's really scary. Because then you're putting a device on your network that's essentially doing proxying for people and also has visibility into your network as well, but managed by an external provider that has access into that router. Hmm. Yeah, see, I, I, that, I'd want to know a lot more about this. Yeah, well, actually, now that you raise that, I'm 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 left with more questions and answers actually, and I'm, yeah. I'm wondering the same thing. But in principle, I think it's great, and certainly for end users, it'll mean more free access in the downtown area, commercial areas, which is great. Hopefully, that's a good thing, and hopefully, it's not. I mean, I'm very cynical, and I know that, but. There's an awful lot of information that can be gleaned from having access to oh, people's traffic. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I know, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, totally. Mm. All right, so it turns out in the 1950s, the US had plans to build a, not just a flying saucer, but a supersonic flying saucer, Mach 3, between Mach 3 and Mach 4, it was supposed to fly, and uh, a ceiling of over 100,000 feet, which is 
what's that in real measurements? Uh, about 30k, is that right? Yeah, about sure, let's 30K. go for that. Let's go for that. Divide by three, roughly. So about 30k uh, ceiling, which is now strangely enough, the maximum range that they specified was only a thousand nautical miles. Which is not really not that far, if you if you think you know, considering you've got something that can fly between Mach three and Mach four, a ceiling of you know thirty kilometers in altitude, and it only goes a thousand nautical miles. But I'm assuming that's because of a fuel, like a fuel requirement or some kind of design sort of. I mean, what fuel was it based on? What was I don't understand what the engine. Why don't I want to know more about this? You want to know everything, isn't it? Yeah, I know. You have yeah, to read those basically. files. Then <laughs> you have to read them. So I mean. Is this like a rotational trajectory system? Like, is it is it a system where the whole thing is rotating and that is what is projecting it forward? In which case, what is the actual mechanism that's doing that? Well, I know uh, the plans were to use propulsion jets to control and stabilize this thing, but whether it's I, I don't I don't know the, any more than that. Whether it's spinning or or what? Yeah, but it turns out that you know they never really got this thing off the ground. Well, almost literally, yeah. it, didn't really, it didn't really get off the ground. So, a few years later, I think in 1960, they they pulled the plug, didn't they? But didn't they say it was they were doing? They were getting really good performances. Uh, they were saying that in the 19 in 1956, the results from pre prototype testing were exactly what the developers had hoped to create, and and then it started going really well, and then all of a sudden the thing just got scrapped. Yeah, and but, you can't but, wonder, but notice I mean, that was pre. That's the thing that was pre prototype testing. So yeah, that, that you was, kind of wonder if maybe maybe it you know did it get scrapped or did it get moved into the oh into the black here box we go a, here we go yeah, yeah did no. they did they say it got scrapped yeah because it's <laughs> the best way to hide something isn't it oh the being always always looking at the interesting angles I hadn't thought of that oh definitely oh we're working on this really cool technology oh no it didn't work hey everyone keeps seeing flying saucers in this area <laughs> oh that's just a coincidence I mean you never know. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, okay, we never know. The thing is, the the budget for this was huge. Well, I think it's huge. Maybe it's not really uh, relatively for these sorts of things, but it was $3 million back then. Uh, this is US dollars, which is twenty about $27 million US now. But we're talking military budget. That's, I mean, it costs a $1 million to fire a particular missile, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I guess so. so and they, I guess and they do that in practice. So. Yeah. But you wouldn't want to mass produce these things at that price. I suppose that's the, I mean, that's the whole point. That's the R&D, not the, not the yeah, mass production what, price, is it? What mass production um, item costs the same as the prototype Yeah, cost? no, that's Hopefully true. Hopefully nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully nothing, you're right. Yeah, not even the Raspberry Pi. No, probably not. Now, an interesting story from, um, about the Minecraft creator. What's his name? Uh, Marcus Pearson. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he was he was criticising... Uh, where's Brett when you need him? He was criticising... <laughs> oh, don't you worry. I've got plenty of rants up my sleeve for Microsoft. <laughs> Have you? Yeah, no, he, he was criticising Microsoft for their strategy for Windows 8. And he's saying that uh, what Microsoft has planned risks ruining its gaming ecosystem. I think everything I've heard him say is right. Like they were an incredibly open platform that gamers loved because they could, de- like game developers loved because they could develop all the software. And they are just becoming another, you know, another Apple basically. Um, mm. 
I mean, this is just iTunes in disguise, isn't it? It's exactly the same thing. It's a it's a way in the market, like the iOS marketplace, it's just a way of controlling what they're releasing. The whole move of their operating system into the tablet-based market and design, and it's. I agree with what he's saying. These, yeah, and, and on that note, also, the, the, this is the thing, because you've got the two different versions of, of Windows, right? You're going to have the, uh, oh, what's it called? The ARM version. Yeah, the ARM version. What, what's the name for that? The... Uh, a piece of crap. <laughs> oh, sorry, that's for both of them. <laughs> ben. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, well, you could you could call it that. Now, the the Windows RT is that's right. <laughs> the Windows RT version. The that Windows is really terrible <laughs> versus, <laughs> versus the QT, the quite terrible version. <laughs> oh yes, no, the Windows RT version uh, is of course going to be for the design for ARM-based chips, you know, tablets and whatnot. And of course, that's not going to run the stuff designed for the desktop environment, which which will run on Intel and AMD chips. So you know, th- there is that whole thing where, it, which is similar to Apple. I mean, you've got your your iPad, and you know, you've got your iPad apps, which if you like, for using simple terms, more locked down, if you like, than your Mac OS X application. So, and this is a, kind of the same thing. I can see where he's coming from. From a performance point of view, I can see their argument as well. Like, you know, you wouldn't want Diablo 3 running on a tablet because you know that it's yeah, not well, going right. yeah. to handle it. So I can understand their point of view in that. But, uh, it's, I mean, just forcing people into a particular place to buy, I just... Yeah, I don't know. I just don't like the way that that's going. It was interesting because Microsoft, I mean, what he said to Microsoft was, you know, on Twitter was, well, it wasn't to Microsoft, but it was, I guess, aimed at them, was got an email from Microsoft wanting to help certify Minecraft for Windows 8. I told them to stop trying to ruin the PC as an open platform. I'd rather have Minecraft not run on Windows 8 at all than to play along. Maybe we can convince a few people not to switch to Windows 8 that way. And, of course, Microsoft didn't respond to that uh, directly, but they did refer to an editorial featured on the NeoNTech site that accused the developer of being a hypocrite. And I quote here, You have a very successful version of Minecraft on the Mac and iOS platforms. You didn't have a problem with Apple's closed systems policy when you launched the iOS or Mac versions. And let's not forget the Xbox 360 version either. Microsoft controls everything on the Xbox dashboard. And to that, Mr. Pearson addressed this by responding with, Microsoft owns the Xbox, Apple owns the iOS. The charm of the PC is that nobody owns it. Microsoft is free to do whatever they want with their iOS. I just won't support all of what they do, however. But I, I think, though, he's missing the point. The PC... He's, he's, he's confusing here with architecture and operating system. The, the PC, nobody owns it. Well, okay, that might be true. But it's not the PC that counts here. It's the operating system. Yeah, I, I, think, I think he's probably regretting that one, that one line. I don't think he said what he actually meant. Like, I don't think he's... He meant what he said. Because if he right? thinks about it, yeah, if he thinks about it, of course Microsoft owned the operating system. I think what he's saying is that yeah, a lot of game developers bought into that openness of that and now they're having the rug pulled out from under their feet. But, right, I mean, okay. if this is something that moves the developers, more developers into the Linux environment, I think it's wonderful. I mean, more and more games are running in Linux and more and more people are wanting to, you know, look at the free alternatives that are out there and uh, maybe there this com- is what we need. Are there big commercial games available for Linux? 
I mean, I play Diablo three and I play it in Linux. Oh right, um, and, and it works. As there's not a supported version, but ah, right, a lot okay. of people a lot of people use it, and a lot of people. So how do you do that? What, through Wine or, or what? Yeah, there's also like a Play on Linux as a group, and they just they work on like Wine ver- Wine versions and kernel versions and recommendations and installs and things to get the games going. And that basically has a Wine uh, like a Wine. Um, install within it that's optimized to run Diablo 3 and it works pretty well. Is there a noticeable overhead with that? Uh, I mean, I guess, but I mean, I, I don't have a PC to play on, so I don't really notice. Right, okay, uh, yeah. I mean, I just love the fact that I can play it and it plays really well. Yeah, true. Um, but there are, I mean, I think Torchlight 2, I think that's been released with a Linux version. I think Steam has a Linux version now. So once you get Steam, you know, you should be able to play a lot more games through it. Because the other alternative uh, would be to run uh, a virtual box, as, you know, on on your uh, Yeah, on your I mean, list. I've had very mixed results. Because what you really need to do is tunnel through to the to the raw hardware. And most virtualization software doesn't really allow you to get in uh, low enough okay. to do that. And I've had mixed mixed sort of results. Like I used to play Diablo two on a um on a virtual box install and that was much better than like VMware or did I try anything else? Can't, oh, yeah, I don't think you'd try Zen. But yeah, as far as the virtual environment goes, it was I've had very mixed results. With wine, you do appear to be able to get much lower into the like into the video card and into the parts that matter. Yeah, I think I had similar results as well with uh, what is it VMware on the Mac? Like you know, some in fact most games just really don't run properly. Some yeah. of them don't run at all. Some just don't run properly to the point where you know you can't play them and uh, you know i haven't tried a lot of games but i i can't think uh, of one that actually was playable the problem is you essentially end up playing on virtual like on a virtual graphics card and they're just they're not optimized for that and the video card the the virtual graphics card that it's presented is not optimized for that either so the best results i had was on virtual box that was basically turning off as much of the virtualization of the graphics as i could so that it was trying to really get into the rawness of the video card and it played diablo 2 absolutely fine and i think i had diablo 3 running in it but i mean Playing it natively on the desktop works perfectly. There's no, there's never any lag or anything like that. It works really, really well. So, do you think game manufacturers are going to start releasing native Linux versions, or is that never going to happen? No, I'm not talking about about the big, big, not the indie stuff, but you know, the big stuff. If there's enough people, they'll do it because you know that's it's all market based. Where the money will be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they can make money from it, they'll do it. And up until now, there hasn't been that big of a marketplace. Well, you know, Um, you know what? I think what you said is not only quite logical, but it actually has been seen as well with with Apple. I mean, we're we're seeing more and more commercial games, you know, big titles for the Mac, whereas years ago there'd be the odd one here or there that would dabble in it, and, and most of the stuff for the Mac was completely independent stuff. And, yeah. and as I say, now we're getting like EA are bringing out a whole, have brought out a whole heap of titles, and, and there are others as well. So you're right; they'll go where, well, once where the money is. Once you've got support for a Mac, you, I mean, it shouldn't be that much to get it over to Linux. Like you know, Mac's running on a, you know, still running on the same kernel. I'm pretty sure. You know, you jump into a terminal well, on, on a Mac based. and you know what you're doing. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you're right. Enough. You'd think you'd think you'd be able to. Mind you, of course, it, I'm assuming it's ported to um, Objective C, which really. If it is, you don't really get that for Linux. Someone, I mean, if someone will do it, I'm sure it's not impossible, but it's—I don't think it's as close as as you might think. If you get what I'm saying, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. 
Anyway, last week, the compact disc turned 30. Woohoo! Hey. And the first commercial uh, CD was? Uh, uh, Billy Joel. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, you're reading the same article as I am. Billy Joel, uh, 52nd Street. It was the uh, was, it? was the first? Yeah, you're right. Oh, it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep, that was the first commercial compact disc. And here's another pop quiz for you. And you're not allowed to Google this, all right? At what speed does a CD spin? Oh. So ordinary um, audio CD. We're not talking about CD-ROM drive things, just ordinary red book audio CD. Any, any so we're talking RPM? Oh, uh, RPM, yeah. Um, I reckon... Oh, man. It's quite fast. Yeah, I just think so. I mean, you know, standard hard drive, 72,000 RPM. But it's not that fast because you can see no, it, right? No. And a laptop drive is going to be spinning at 54. And think of your 33 uh, uh, and 45 uh, records as well. Now, that's slow, but, yeah. you know, so it's somewhere between the two, obviously. Yeah, maybe. I mean, initially I was sort of thinking, you know, a couple of thousand, but maybe 500? Yeah, actually, you know what? 500, it, it, there's a range because it, it spins more slowly as it gets to the to the end of the disc, so it's between two hundred and five hundred RPM. Uh. Hmm. So two hundred at the outside edge, which is towards the end of the 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 disc, and five hundred RPM at the beginning of the disc on the inside. So a fifty-two speed burner would be spinning at fifty-two times, you know, roughly two hundred. Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's fifty-two times the two hundred or fifty-two times the. Uh, the 500. That I'm not sure. But I'm yeah, assuming that if it if it can burn 52 times faster, it would roughly be spinning, you know, you know, throughout the throughout the burn process 52 times faster. Yeah, that's right. Yes. That's right. But uh, you, don't forget though, you can also you get constant angular velocity drives, CAV, and you get constant linear velocity drives as well with computers, and that's the that confuses things as well. Hmm. So, so with constant angular velocity ones, it spins at the same speed, but your data rate gets on. I think, I know that the best drives do uh, uh, do that, like uh, a lot of Asus stuff or ASUS, as some people say, they do that really good for, uh, you know, when you're doing like DJ and radio stations and stuff like that. Typically, your cheaper ones are your constant linear velocity ones, which alter the speed, a bit like the Red Book uh, Audio ZD, they alter the speed depending on where it is. Right. So the data rate stays the same, so you don't have to worry about memory buffering and so on. Yeah, anyway, so that's that. The audio CD is 30. See, it's interesting because I don't remember CDs till, I don't know, I think the early 90s, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember late 80s. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah definitely late 80s. Because we're talking 1982 we- for the first commercial CD. Yeah, I mean, uh, when were the first one have made it to New Zealand? Back then, probably, well, probably actually, not until it, it, 1985. Yeah, that, you're probably right, actually. Yeah, because... Uh, and even then, it would have been even more ridiculously expensive. Oh, yeah. Because imports were crazy back then as well. That's true. This country was in a whole different space back then, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. you're right. Yeah. Um, so 30 but, yeah, years. No. It's, been, it's been a good format, right? Yeah, yeah. It's been I mean, really nothing's good. perfect, but right, you, you know, when you think about it, it's been good. You kind of wonder what is the average lifespan for a format? Well, these it seems to be getting quicker and quicker. Well, smaller and smaller as well. Smaller, like, 
Well, just thinking like when we went from records to MP3 oh, to, uh, by to, quicker. Yeah, that's to right. CDs yeah. and then to MP3s and then you're getting into, you know, getting more dense and smaller. So you just kind of wonder where we're going to end up. True. The Matrix. That's where it's all going. Well, I mean, you sort of, yeah. It's kind of the whole cloud <laughs> and streaming could be the next, yeah, you well, know, I think essentially the next already, format. Yeah, I think it's already starting. You're right. Yeah. Yep. And now a couple of Facebook stories. First of all. Uh, a milestone for Facebook as well. It surpassed 1 billion users last week. So it's the world's biggest botnet. <laughs> hey, you use Facebook, don't you? I have a Facebook account, yes. Oh, okay, but you don't use it. Do I use it? Not really, no. Right. Yeah, well, look, you know, 1 billion people, that's huge. That's the well, That's got to be the no, biggest. No, no, 1 billion users. There's a difference because does the boys of tech have a Facebook page? Actually, we do. Well, we've got a. It's embarrassing, but we've got one that's not really maintained, and we but should. Does that count? Would that count as a user? Yeah, well, I know that's a thing. Well, no, hang on. This is based on on one month. So in a month, there are a billion accounts being used. What is being used to mean as well? Like, uh, yeah, see, I, I don't know. Whether it, it means logged not in disabled or, and not deleted or actually active as far as okay, logged so, in? Okay, so we need to look at the detail, I agree. But it's fair to say, right, that this is huge, whatever the, oh, the, yes, whatever the metric yeah. is, right? It's, it's, it's yeah. huge. But I'm not going to give them a billion without, you know, a little bit of questioning. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. You're a tough customer. Yes. You know, it's interesting though the the market uh, the market shares in the different parts of the world. I was just looking at a graph here published on the uh, what is on the BBC website, and it shows forty five percent North America. This is percentage. Sorry, this is some market penetration percentage of population using Facebook. So North America forty five percent, Australia and Oceania second at forty two percent. Then we've got South America. At thirty four percent, Europe strangely enough is is lower down at thirty percent, and then it goes Asia six point seven percent and Africa just over five percent. Interesting about I I think Europe and Asia surprise me, six point seven percent in Asia and only thirty percent in Europe when you compare it to to uh, South America and Australasia, which are quite high. I mean, all of them are pretty high for. For penetration and you know population, but I do wonder where they, where are they getting these numbers from? Like forty five percent of the population, like what count does is that every single person? Is that including under fives? Is that including under tens? Does that include homeless people? Does yeah, it include? Okay. Yeah, point taken. Don't know, but the important thing here is that you can guarantee that the way they've done it for the different continents is going to be consistent. Yeah. So at least you can, you know, we can't put too much weight on the numbers themselves, but at least. Comparatively, you know, between the different continents, we can. And I thought that I mean, was- I'm not. I mean, Europe does feel a lot less. I mean, they, they've got privacy. They've got a strong privacy laws, don't they? And they're very privacy aware, if you like, compared to to North America. That could explain the difference between forty five percent and thirty. Well, a lot of Europe also feels very community based. Like you go into a into a small town or a small region, and people are actually still a community that talk and know each other. And so, something like Facebook. Oh, you mean is, in, in real life, right? Yeah, like in re- like when you actually visit there in person. What does that mean? 
What does it mean to visit well, someone? <laughs> <laughs> you know how like on Facebook, how you go to a web page, yeah. Like you, you go there and you see everything that's on there. Well, what you used to do back when, you know, back when I was young <laughs> is you'd get on a plane and actually, you know, the plane would kind of be like a browser and the country <laughs> would be kind of like the URL and you're kind of like the mouse that's clicking on the different URLs and you go oh, there. Oh, man, that analogy is ace. I like it. <laughs> I like it. That's You know what? I'm going to take a quote from that and that's going to be our, our title for, for this week's show. That's ace. <laughs> Love the band. You know what? Let's end that story on that note because that's an awesome note on which to end. And I want to talk about the other uh, story on Facebook, and that is an interesting thing. This is a bit of fun. Zuckerberg, yeah, he wears the same thing every day, and and he's he's open about it. And he says, yeah, he's, I've got like twenty grey t-shirts. I have one drawer. That's where my stuff goes. <laughs> It is true, doesn't he? I mean, he he's been criticised for his dress sense. You kind of do wonder if it's um, if it sort of plays into the whole. You know, does he get his photo taken a lot, and is it a way of sort of just avoiding a lot of that stuff? Like, if the paparazzi is taking a photo, and every single day you're wearing exactly the same clothes, how could they sell it as you being somewhere on a particular day? You know, it could be. I have a feeling, though, that it's just Pure more innocent. Well, just well, no, well, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. More innocent than that. Just he's just the a kind of guy that really doesn't care about what he wears, and he just, you know, I must admit, I'm, I, I have a little bit of tendency uh, like that. Like I bought, um, I think ten pair, ten pairs of grey socks. So I'm sick of. Or was it 15? It was either 10 or 15 pairs because I was sick of getting, you know, you buy a pack of three and they're all got different patterns on them and then you can never find a pair when you need. So I bought 10 or 15, I forget, grey socks. And can I you just, buy socks? I thought socks were something that you got given. Oh, you got by given, like, yeah, Father's Day, yeah. Uh, Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realise you could actually, so you can actually go out and buy socks. <laughs> Believe it or oh. not, you can. Oh, okay. Next you're going to tell me you can go out and buy underwear. I mean, oh, you, you can as well. What? Hang on, the ben, same ben, hang on a sec. Who gives you underwear? Same oh, people that gives me socks. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Any elderly relative over the age right, of 50? Right, no, fair enough. Okay, I'll accept that answer. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so there's there, there it is. Uh, Zuckerberg pretty much wears the same thing. Not literally the same thing because he does wash his clothes, but the same type of clothing every day. Maybe. M- multiple. Maybe he's actually got like multiple people that walk around dressed as him wearing the same clothing and it's a way of having all of them in different locations and people not knowing which one he's at. <laughs> you think he'd think Maybe that, he's though? an action figure. Maybe he's the first Facebook robot. Maybe. Or maybe what he's just he like maybe he's actually just like a lot of lot more guys than people think are like. They don't really it's only got one shirt and he just never washes it. Oh, oh, oh no, tell me that's not true. Imagine if you meet him in person and he really stinks. Right. I'm, I, no, I'm ending the story here, Ben. <laughs> We're not going there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I was just joking. Well, no, I'm, I'm actually joking and I'm serious. Let's end it there, Ben. That was an awesome show. Hey, look, thank you very much for co-hosting with me. Oh, you're welcome. Fun. So we must do it again next week. And in fact, there will be another episode next week, so do stick around. But until then, that's it from us. Goodbye.
but first of all, I've lost my list, so I'll keep talking in the same tone so that it catches well when I do the edit. But first of all, uh, hang on one more time. But first of all, Skype is planning to lo- learn to launch once again. But Skype, uh, but first of all, Skype is planning to launch a free wireless internet access service or platform rather in the UK. 